0: Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share their insights with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas. As and every week, I have here my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey, guys. Hey there. Today, we have an awesome guest with us. We have John Camascio, and he's a corporate CIO for Tech Young Corporation, and I will let him introduce himself. We were talking a little bit, and he's very interesting. in what his company does. So, John, welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Carlos, and uh, hello, Howard and Paul. It's a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate the invite. Uh, so uh, so I work for Tech Young Corporation. We are an international manufacturer of high-end office furniture. So we, uh, we build-to-order, engineer-to-order all kinds of office furniture products to fill the fine buildings that people work in around the world.
2: Nice. So, let's jump uh, in and talk about what has changed since. March what did you? Uh, you've got you've had steady state. No change in the business. No change in the model. Clients are the same. That you're you're kind of same old, same old.
1: <laughs> we only wish, right? So, within twenty four hours, we moved four thousand uh, people uh, to work from home model. Uh, wow. And which was great and, uh, and, you know, and, we, and we left our manufacturing, we have about 20 manufacturing plants around the world and manufacturing uh, stayed at a steady state uh, for a short term and then it fluctuated a bit back and forth as the areas and regions around the world opened and closed. Uh, we are, we're declared a, an, an essential service uh, because mm-hmm. we do service organizations like hospitals uh, and uh, banks and insurance companies that were essential service governments as well uh, and we were also able to use our manufacturing capacity to pivot and actually make 400,000 hospital gowns, uh, wow. and using our sewing capacity and our, and our CNC laser capacity. So that allowed that to stay open. Uh, as far as uh, all the employees that worked at home, uh, we have very much a mobile first, uh, strategy, mobile first within the campus, within the manufacturing. So you know, the majority of people it was very easy to go home and our networks were all ready to go. And, uh, so, so we were happy to do that. We weren't happy to empty our buildings because they are filled with our furniture. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, uh, but no, a lot of things, of course, as you know, have changed with that with the work from home uh, phenomenon. Uh, most buildings stayed empty, uh, and I think uh, everyone is starting to realize that remote work is very successful, and uh, so that also is allowing. Uh, Allowing the world to actually keep functioning, and it's quite impressive how the economy has kept going. You know, although it has its issues and it's got stimulus from all the governments, but, but quite interesting.
2: So, has the business changed? Are you earning revenue differently now? And is there a long tail to that or a short tail? So, so right now, I mean,
1: through through this pandemic, I mean, we always like because we always we always build. We always get an order and then build for six to eight weeks out, and that's mm. based on when you occupy your facility. Uh, and we've all been there. You pack the red box on Friday and you come back in and miraculously, you're building the 30 floors are full of new stuff. And that's kind of when we go into action. So as we you know, as we cleared out uh, uh, all the promissory stuff from our orders, uh, orders are still coming in. Uh, what What is changing is, is uh, the protocols that people are going back into the office with, uh, mm. the physical distancing. And of course, you know, can your current building uh, fulfill the occupancy of that building? And then clients will are making decisions around work from home as well. Uh, but you know, we still see we still see uh, business coming. I mean, business has slowed down for everybody through this pandemic in one way, shape, or form. But what's interesting is uh, you know the office still has a home. Uh, you know, proximity breeds uh, collaboration, breeds innovation, and you you still have to get people together somehow. Uh, and without a doubt, I think many companies will take their own uh, their own view of, of how their office, their address will, will show up and it will look a bit different than the open and collaborative space with benching that we had. But there still will be, I, I believe, very strongly, uh, an open and collaborative greeting space where people can meet, physical distance, uh, a lot of technology will have to be available there so people can, can bring in people who are working remotely. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, the privacy areas where people can go uh, feel safe and do some heads down work while they are in the office as well. And maybe they won't be fixed stations, but they will be certainly there. Uh, and also the materiality that we people will use will be you know, contagion free or, or deflect contagions or be very, very washable, and cleanable, uh, because that's going to be part of our rigor. As I do every morning, since we got back, I have to sanitize my station and then I have to sanitize it before I leave as a protocol that's established today. Right. So, so mm. I think it's going to be a, a lot of uh, a lot of adjustments as we go.
2: And how so, about the? Sorry, go ahead. Eric.
3: Um, so, so that's interesting. Um, how do you see the, do you see, do you see us maybe going back to some older materials that we used to use? Do you see more, <laughs> more um, brass, more materials made with silvers, more materials made with kind of the, the natural uh, antibiotic materials.
1: Yeah, I think I think certainly the touch points, Howard, that, that people have—door handles, uh, drawers—you uh, know, like you know, areas that are used by multiple people. Uh, the other new materials that you see—I mean, like glass, as we know, is very cleanable. Uh, laminate veneer is very cleanable uh, and and is easy to keep clean. Uh, there are uh, we we have uh, we have our own textile business called Loom Textiles. And uh, we may we design and manufacture our own textiles. And those textiles that most people don't know, and we really, you know, and we have to market that, uh, is that they're very cleanable. They're washable with soap and water, which again, kills contagions. They're, they're bleachable, especially in open areas. Some textiles are very bleachable as well. Uh, and, and when you look at the kind of material that you have to start looking at that can be contagion-free, like the brass, can you work that into an office surface? Because at the end of the day, we're all sitting here we're working on a surface and that's what really we have. And then we have a place to sit. And if that surface can use special material that's cleanable as we provide today and or the contagions, I think it'll be a win for everybody.
3: I think it's also going to look really interesting, right? Yes. Um, as we think about new materials and we think about different materials and we kind of break out of what our expectation of a workspace is. Um, you know, my, my work from home, Became kind of kind of silly. I was I was traveling all the time, so my office got co-opted. We'll say, and I kind of (laughs) lost the office. And my first project when I came when when COVID started was I built a a gaming table for playing tabletop games, right, board games and that sort of stuff, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, And there's a small, very small section that I never ever would have thought could be my desk, but I just needed a place to set up my Zoom and do a thing, and that has now been my desk for the last three months, (laughs) and it's about. 18 inches deep by about two and a half feet wide. Um, I never thought that that would have worked. But the reality of the situation is the more space a lot of us have, myself it definitely included, the more clutter that space acquires. Right. And so yeah. what I wonder is as we move forward and as we kind of become more and more and more digital, um, are those the shapes of those things that, that are tactile in the office, whether that's a home office or a physical office, do you do you do you see those kind of maybe changing a little bit?
1: Absolutely right. So so to, to your point, everything has gotten smaller. Just like you find that you only need so much space. So if I look at our education division, where we supply like library carrels for for you know Brown University and, and a bunch of other colleges in the U.S. and universities in Canada, the the library carrel that I went uh, to school with was very large. I the to spread my books out. Uh, the new one is very narrow, very, very thin double laminate glass, which is, which is uh, fogged in. So you have privacy, but you have sound deadening. And it has a holder for your tablet and or your phone with USB uh, connectors and space mm-hmm. for your laptop. That's it. It's very, very small. So you translate that to a bench that people are working, to the social furniture that people are using to collaborate with. It's all quite small. So the footprint has naturally shrunk. So I think that will continue as you get into more privacy, possibly with higher walls uh, for for a, a surface, so you can create some privacy, a screen or a door behind you. But then when you go to the open collaborative areas, they'll change, you know, in the sense that the people have this well-being when they're outside, even during this pandemic. You're outside, you feel good. So if you if you have a section which is quite large, and you have a series of community, what we call community tables, which are are standing, standing type tables with lots of uh, power available to them and enough space for people to physical distance and also uh, have their technology on it. And then you start adding video technology. We have a product called Tech Zones, which really is an easel on wheels that's wired that you can drag around and you can pl- all you need is power because uh, the screen's Wi-Fi and you can share wirelessly. And now all of a sudden I can bring you in from home. And now I'm sitting at the community table with three or four other people. We're in a wide open area. We all have headsets on, which again will be a technology that we have to start adding to all our AV uh, right. at all our tables. And then all of a sudden in an open room where I feel safe, I feel well, uh, I can be in the office, collaborate, spend that time. I can move over to a private uh, area. We have phone booths. And really a phone booth is not a phone at all. It, it looks like a phone booth. It's sealed. It has its own air circulation, its own power. And it's uh, 100% sound. Uh, efficient, right? So you can go in, do take the private call, have your laptop sitting there as well. Step out of there. So all of a sudden, how you move around and the products that you will be using will be similar to to what you're describing. They'll be smaller, they'll be private, uh, they'll be cleanable, uh, and they'll be open and airy, so you can feel well.
3: Well, I'd, I'd love to have like a a standing. Um, like a standing desk that, that they use in medical practices, you know, big, big wheels on it with the, the, the technology that has a built-in uh, battery, like build it into the, to the stand itself. Um, the tabletop is antibacterial. I set my laptop on and I've got space for a mouse. I can wheel it right up to a window. I can wheel it outside onto the veranda, right? I can do my work from wherever makes logical sense. Um, I can get kind of that motion, the movement, which, which I find to be so much better than just a standing desk. Um, at the end of the day, I wheel it right back into some sort of like, um, uh, station that, that, you know, just kind of, kind of plugs the power in and charges it overnight. The next day I come in, I check on another one and I, and I, and I move again. My concern though, is, um, my concern really is bad decisions by management, bad decisions by leadership, right? Um, if I say, okay, I'm okay with a, uh, I don't know what this would be. 150 square centimeter desk. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's reasonable, but whatever, right? A very small physical working space. Um, I don't need a lot of space. Next thing I know, I also have no distance, right? Right. I no longer have like, like. Let's be honest. A cubicle is has almost always been too small. We always kind of feel like rats in a cage, and and adding high walls doesn't help. Low walls in a post-COVID world don't help, right? And so my concern kind of is. Going to the smaller spaces um, does then enable bad decisions by leadership to say, "Well, now we don't need 240 square foot per employee. Now we can get down to the 120 square foot per employee, right?" And and kind of doubling down on, on making it worse.
1: Right. Right. No, I see. What, I see what you're saying, and I think I think you know it's up to companies like us, you know, who have the the the, the design layout, the concept, the, the flow, uh, and also you know, one of the big pushes that we do, there's a certification called WELL, uh, as in W-E-L-L, right? And, and so to be WELL is how much natural light you have, how, how comfortable your station is, the air circulation, you know, plants, uh, you know, et cetera, right? And, and using WELL will help a lot of companies make better decisions around the workstations and or offices or surfaces people use, right? Uh, and, and I think the idea that the physical distancing will naturally create uh, your pod, so to speak, right? and what will it look like Uh, because again having cubicles you know they might have high walls but you know you still might not feel that you want a cubicle you might want an isolated pod and and you still need that space Uh, and I think the other idea becomes well like am I working with a little bit of space and all of a sudden now do I need a lot of space we all have that Thanksgiving dining room table right which we use for four people all year and all of a (laughs) sudden 16 people because we have all these these very interesting wood inserts that we paid for and we've been (laughs) storing in our furnace room. (laughs) So you start thinking that's a possibility. The battery side is a very interesting concept because you know we talk a lot to people who who want uh, exactly that, a battery operated desk right, And, and if you think of military field hospitals where they set up and they have batteries which are very very well contained, safe, and, of course, they cannot emit any resistance to anything. So you mm-hmm. think of a building, you know, a Wi-Fi is everywhere, so that has to be sealed. And you think of an e-bike where the battery slides in and out, conceptually, and then you can dock that battery and take another battery to use. Um, you know, it's a great story for movability, especially with, uh, the, you know, the gurney style that you talked about. I can just picture mm-hmm. it with the gurney pushing around, right? <laughs> um and and then you start thinking it's a great environmental story because if you charge overnight at a lower cost in theory that whole floor could be off the grid all day
3: yeah especially when you add in like poe lighting power over ethernet lighting and and things like that where um, like you're not even losing the drain to the wall switch because it goes like they do a hard power off at the the network switch for poe right? right there's all kinds of interesting kind of next gen um power savings that could be done. Um, also if you like if you were to switch to something like the gurney, then then you you could also design your communal workspaces mm-hmm. to kind of fit that slotting.
2: Right. 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 So
3: you have a meeting, you wheel your little mini desk up, you slot it into the table, and the table right. that exists exists to provide distancing, right? right? And so you could literally design that to meet your corporate requirements for distancing even in a conference room. I sit right. here because that's where my slot is. I can't right. sit in another space because there is no matching slot.
1: Right, so, so I, think, really... I think those innovations, that's where you're going to start seeing, is how do, how do I create my own safe space, have it to be flexible enough for what I need, but also allow me to physically distance and, and know what that means.
2: And if you attach that gurney to your belt, Howard, it can come with you, right? It's, it's behind <laughs> you, it's, it's constantly trailing you. <laughs> yeah. well, now, EF...
1: If I attach
3: it to my belt, it's got to have a batarang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'll need to have, I'll need to have, like, a yeah. grappling hook yeah. gun or something, like,
1: Paul, I'm thinking of that that suitcase in the airport that follows you when you're walking around. Right? Oh, that'd be awesome. I'm thinking of that on, on Howard's desk as he's walking around. His desk is following him, right?
3: No, you'd have you'd have like 17 people yelling at it. No, I'm going to lunch. Stop. No, just, I just need a bathroom break. What is wrong with you?
2: It's the elevator you got to worry about. That's true. Right. You have a very needy work surface. <laughs> so let's let's shift to uh, let's shift to your team and leadership. So we've had lots of conversation with CIOs that have really said this last quarter has highlighted or the opposite of highlighted uh, their leaders in the team, their managers in the team on who actually can lead in a sort of federated state, right? Who, right. these are the people who, you know, are used to managing by walking around and managing by, you know, micro transactions. And it's just not as effective here, right? It's a, federated delegated world did you actually see that too is that
1: yeah i think we, we saw a bit of it uh, you know we we have a dispersed team anyway like we uh, we have people in the u.s and we have people you know in other locations uh and we we have a small contingent overseas in, in malaysia as well so so the, the way we, we we do a lot of touch points uh through the day anyway mm-hmm. so what we added when we, everyone was at home of course is you know, a morning touch point and touch uh, an you know, afternoon touch point uh, with, with myself invited as optional, so I could I could photobomb it at any point to make sure every, everybody's okay, right? right. Uh, and I think what happened is that having those touch points just gave everyone that connection they needed. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and again, I think you know, it was very important to talk to the management team to say, you, know, th- you have to leave because people have not only a lot of work to do, but they have high stress, high anxiety about what the situation is, other mm-hmm. family members. Uh, something that you know we all noticed because of uh, everyone at home, we had to adjust to the household flow. Like the right. household has a flow that, that none of us realize because we're not there. You get you get home, all of a sudden the flow happened. That flow happened during the day when there's kids at home doing e-learning uh, for school. There may be uh, elderly parents living with you. Uh, there's demand. So so I think by adjusting to that, that, having that empathy and adjusting to the household flow helped a lot. And I think the leaders initially the first two weeks overcompensated with touch points to the point where even the staff said, okay, uncle, like enough, <laughs> right? You know, can we do the morning and afternoon? We don't need the noon, right? And then can we, spit, can we skip the morning one uh, every second day? And, and, but I think everyone was very conscientious about being that way. Uh, and I think uh, like IT, like application developers, uh, you know, like our, our DevOps group, infrastructure network, they're not necessarily managed by walking around as much. So mm-hmm. I think within uh, the, the, C, the CIO community and, and my divisions, it's a lot easier to create those touch points. Uh, I think from a sales perspective, that was difficult, uh, you know, because the sales perspective and uh, like a chief sales officer really I does know. the walking around, visiting the divisions, you know, doing the, know. the, you know, the rallies and doing the discussions. That would have been very difficult, I think.
2: And did, are you finding that you might now have, you know, Thousand cultures instead of one culture because everybody gets to sort of create their own flexibility create their own availability create their own time create their own whatever working norm
1: yeah I think I think that uh, maintaining that culture I think uh, is, is a lot easier when you're in a building and I do agree with what you're saying it's, it's easier to make adjustments when you are working remote because everyone especially during this time everyone's trying to compensate and help everyone uh, so I think, you know, we, we still have to find a way to, to, to create that culture. And, and I think, you know, that, like, companies have to be uh, agile and culture is a big part of that agility. And I think that's still going to be something that we definitely have to work on. and I think most companies have to work on as well.
0: Here.
3: If I were to kind of take what you said along with kind of what we've been hearing for the past few months and, and distill it uh, down to just two points, Um, I I think those two points really sound to me like uh, the most important things leaders can do are be empathetic and really work towards defining and maintaining your culture.
1: Right, Right. that's well put, I I would agree. Uh, Because the empathy, although I think in in the office people are empathetic, uh, but when you're working remote and you're actually in the person's situation a bit more. So you you learn a lot more about people's situations. So I think having that empathy uh, really, really helps, right? Uh, And I think if you're not, if you're gonna be command and control with a remote workforce, you won't be successful, in my opinion. I
3: I don't know that you were successful command and control with an in-person workforce. I just think it gets exacerbated when we become remote, right?
1: Yes, yeah, Um,
3: In all honesty, um, human beings have evolved a very specific way, right? Um, and what we determine to be real is set by the limitations of hunter-gatherers. How many, people could maxim- how, we, how many people could we maximally sustain within a hunter-gatherer community? And it was not a lot. Um, there was a study done some years ago on um, do we, human beings, modern humans, see people as people? And that sounds like a strange thing. Um, But the net result of the the test was we see about 100 people a day as people. After that, we can no longer kind of see them as people anymore. It's just it becomes too much to our psyche. And so we start looking at them as non-human beings. I don't mean that to sound like we become callous because that's not really what it is. It's just we stop seeing them as individual humans. We start seeing them as another living entity but not actually humans. Um, and then that becomes even worse when they're not physically there. They're not physically in front of you. They're not physically present. Um, it's easy in the office because you don't generally interact with more than 100 people in the office. You don't, you know, By the time you get home, you probably haven't hit your 100 person limit. Um, and so you see them as people, you react to them as people, you interact with them as people. But when you put a screen in between them, when it's just a phone, when it's just an email, when it's just text, all of that becomes harder and harder and harder. And it's almost the subconscious mind versus the conscious mind. You kind of have to slide some of that into your empathy bucket because empathy is a very conscious thing. You have to kind of slide into the stuff that I would allow to not be empathetic because my my subconscious mind just kind of takes over and goes, well, that's not quite human, right? It doesn't deserve the same attention. You kind of have to slide over a little bit more extra empathy. Like you have to put a little couple, couple extra teaspoons, tablespoons, cups, or buckets full, depending on you know how your natural empathy bucket sits, yeah. um, and really kind of focus on what are the extra steps I need to take to ensure that morale is good?
1: Right.
2: right. What are the extra steps right.
3: I need to take to ensure that, that everyone understands that, that they are not a machine, that they are in fact a human, and I see them that way, I acknowledge them that way, and I acknowledge that they're all different.
1: Right, right. And I think, uh, you know, that's an interesting point, Howard, because I think what it leads to, I'm not sure if you guys uh, have read the book Random Candor by Kim Scott. Uh, It's a very, it's a fantastic book. And Kim worked with Google and Apple and and a few other tech companies in Silicon Valley. And especially when you're dealing with uh, technology individuals in particular, who in some cases aren't maybe as communicative as they, as you would like them to be. Uh, And and it kind of drives that, you know, that you, you show that you care, but you also have to be honest with them, right? And part of being empathetic is to being honest with people. And when, when people are remote, it's hard to read the body language uh, on video all the time, right? You know, because, and, and you don't see them until they're on video. When, when they're in the office, you walk by their station, you, you run into them, and you can see how people are feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, random candor is quite interesting, which creates this ability that you have to communicate more uh, with people in general. But when you're remote, you have to really communicate more. And that's some of the stuff that you know, my team and I talked about. You know, if there were any issues that we saw, well, have you had a, a good discussion. And it's not a discussion to upset them, but it's just being straight and being honest. Uh, because at the end of the day, we still have a job to get done. Uh, and I always think of my kids when they were teenagers or you know, in their 30s now. But, you know, when they were teenagers, they kept on you know, calling me a benevolent dictator. And I took that as a compliment, right? Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, like I was fair, but at the end of the day, like dad still has to make a call, right? That's right.
2: Still <laughs> my money.
1: Right, so as an executive, you still have to make a call, uh, but you have to have to certainly be empathetic and understand, and having random candor with people really drives that, and, and if you haven't read the book, I, honestly, it breaks it down to four areas, and again, when you look at those four areas, you see yourself in those areas, or, or you see some of the people you know, including maybe your your partner, wife, et cetera, right, that you have to be careful not to execute uh, business-like things at, at home, right? Right. <laughs> but, but I think communication has had to be picked up during this remote time, without a doubt, because it's really good to be on when you're on video. And I've never seen I've never seen people look so good, you know, in, in our teams, right? Because they're on. They're like, I'm getting on video. You know, I better I better put a shirt with a collar on, right? <laughs> or something. It's it's kind of interesting how people react that way because they see all the, the tiles, right?
3: So it's 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 interesting. You bring something up, and it reminds me um, of the great lie of video right? Um, Again, it goes back to kind of how we evolved. And and we we have active communication, passive communication. I'm not going to get all into that. But but we confuse video as reality. Our brains haven't evolved to the point where video is seen as fake.
1: Right, right.
3: And so we see video and we think reality, right? So I'm going to use a, uh, it's not meant to be political, so don't take it that way. But we see videos of police shootings. And we go, we now have all of the evidence necessary to make a judgment. That's the process that goes through your head and you make a judgment only to find out later there was something that happened off camera that affected the, that particular action, that particular result, that particular situation. And then you have to kind of backtrack in your own mind and go, oh, well, wait, that didn't happen. But we do it on video this way all the time. The stakes are infinitely lower. But at the same time, right, we look at each other and we go, oh, well, we're in person now. Right. Right. right Our right. brains go, we're in person now. But what our brains don't seem to understand is there are zero microexpressions contained on video. And so much information is delivered that way. And so what our brain does, our brain's not smart. Like we might think it is, but it's not actually smart. Um, and so our brain goes, I'm required to see microexpressions, so I'm just going to fill it in. And where it's missing, it just doesn't happen. But microexpressions happen in hundredths of a second and video is done in 30 frames a second or 60 frames a second.
1: Right. So it's nearly exactly.
3: impossible to capture anyways. Right.
1: Exactly. Right. And, and sometimes it's recorded. So you can go back and look at it. You know, did I say something wrong there? I, I worry about that. Right. I worry about people going to, you know, let's go back to the recording of the meeting. Did I say something wrong? Right. It's, uh, yeah. it's interesting. And I'd like to ask you guys a question. Have you seen demand for a video off meeting where people say, turn your camera off so you can have a meeting just for, almost like a conference call. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen that demand at all come from anybody?
3: I haven't seen it as an active component, but I have seen it as kind of a passive thing. Like there's almost this, um, everybody joins the call and then you notice a couple of cameras flicker on. And if no other cameras flicker on, those cameras will flicker off.
2: Right. right. Um,
3: It it used to be, I think, a lot more common, like pre-COVID, you'd see there were some people who just liked having a camera on and some people who liked having their camera off. And so we just kind of all went that way. But I think this kind of post-COVID, I think there's almost become like almost a hive mind about it. Not in a bad way at all. It's just, is this a, a video call? Is this not a video call? And, and there's very little kind of individualism in it. And it's very much kind of like the community makes a decision without ever bringing it up. Oh, I guess this isn't a video call. We won't do video. And I don't say that as a bad thing. Like those, those terms aren't, aren't good or bad. It's just, it's interesting to see the way we've all kind of, it's a, like a tribal thought. It's very, very interesting to see how that's changed. But I've had none where it's been an active thing.
2: Interesting.
1: Because I found that uh, when you actually propose, say, you know, we're, we're going to put a deck up now to review the project plan, so, uh, the video's off, right? You know, that way we can all see the deck. You know, it, it's interesting. It's almost like a relief when you say that, right? Uh, and it's good because I think it's kind of you can lead by saying that. And people think it's okay for me to shut it off because, you know, you, know, you, said, you said videos off, right? So right. It's, it may be a bit of a new protocol we have to adapt to.
2: So some of that's the leader, right? They have to do what the leader says. But but I have seen a multi channel type change, right? Where it doesn't always have to be video conference. We can have a one on one conversation via text or what's up, or you can just call me on the phone. Those are because they're still one on one communications, but it doesn't it allows you to have the uh, non eye contact but still physical presence. Right, right. Right, which is hard to do in a video conference. You're you're almost exactly. forced to have eye contact. Exactly. But if you really want to have a, a whisper conversation or a side, maybe a personal conversation, like choose another channel, that, that's yeah. what I see.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting Like you, you talk about that. Like, like my management team uh, sits in this building, my senior management team, and, and my, I have an open door policy and there's quite often there's drive-bys all like through the, of the day, right? Just a small thing, FYI, want wanted to get your take on this. or just wanted to talk, right? So I, I thought, like, how do, we, how do we keep that going when we're remote, right? So, you know, we use group chat. Uh, we use a G Suite. So we set up a group, a group chat called Management Drive-By. Uh, and basically, you know, like, keep it off email, keep it off text, keep it off phone calls. But if there's something in, that you have a thought about uh, that is to do with work, you just put on the Management Drive-By. And then, you know, I'll check it on a regular basis because it's pinging, right? And it actually has been very effective, right? Because I, I find out what's going on. FYI, this is delayed. FYI, we have a problem here or, or this happened as opposed to, you know, going through emails or going through status reports. And, and that, you know, I'm not saying it's perfect, but at least it gives a, a venue that people can go to and they can ping and they know that, that I'll look at it and they know I'll respond to it and they know the other management team will see it as well.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there's serious value in maintaining those kind of passive communication channels. And, and I do want to kind of double click on what Paul said. Um, so much of what we did in the office was passive communication. It was drive-by communication, right? Passive communication. Um, it was things we did because the opportunity existed and made it easy. Um, video is fantastic because uh, you can immediately gauge someone's engagement. If I'm, if I'm over here doing this, I'm not engaged. Right. But if I'm looking at the video, the chances are pretty good I'm engaged. And so it becomes really easy to kind of gauge your audience, whether whether that's an audience of one or an audience of 50. Are they engaged? But at the same time, it's hard to be engaged all day long. It's hard to be engaged all the time in every meeting Um, and not every piece of communication requires active engagement. And so I would really encourage leaders find what works for you fi- specifically, find what works for you for the type of communication and the people that you're communicating with. right If you're communicating with an individual like me, I prefer text. That is my favorite way to communicate one-on-one. I don't like text chat. I would prefer <laughs> a slack channel like Slack channel works, right yeah, If yeah. it's something that's going to kind of be ongoing passive communication right. um, but at the same time, recognize that uh, if, if you're adding a Slack channel, if you're adding a chat channel, that's probably one of 25.
2: Yes.
3: Because now all of our friends that don't meet, they all want a Slack channel or they want a Discord channel or they want a, a Facebook messenger group, right? right. <laughs> and And then you really have to concentrate on, like you almost have to be firmer on the mission.
1: Yes.
3: Is this just a, 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 like a, a random conversation channel where you can hop in and hop out like, like water cooler chat? Does this, or does this have a purpose? And I'll be honest if it doesn't have a like a specific purpose that I care about, mute right, and then I have the ability to go, I'm part of this, so if I want to join the water cooler, I can step into the water cooler chat. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. when
3: I step back out, it's muted, and if That's it's cool. important, then it's important, and i'm I, I get those updates all the time, and I can go, oh hey, I've got three or four of them waiting, let's go take a look, let's read what everybody said, let's reply um, but i think I think you really have to kind of think about the purpose for that and go does this have a purpose what is the purpose and how do i make sure that i'm following the purpose i i'm you know i'm doing my part as it were
2: right right absolutely let's uh we still we have five minutes ish let's double click on it like specifically for you john uh did you you know in january 2020 you had a plan for for 2020 right assuming right (laughs) uh you had a list of (laughs) projects you know you had 200 projects you had to deliver on uh, you had KPIs that you thought were important. You had a capital budget that you thought you were going to spend on. Right. Has it changed? Or are you generally going to implement the things you're going to go to? Or did you have what we refer to as a sort of a digital transformation pivot? Based on things that have happened, uh, I now have a new set of projects, or at least you know, a few more projects to now deliver on in a much different timeline. Where I might have had six months, I now have three weeks. Is right. that, did, right. you, did any of that occur yeah. for you?
1: Well, absolutely. So, so we, we had our core digital transformation projects that really are, are the fundamental to move forward the organization, right? So, you know, so we, we've been doing digital transformation steadily and, and very hard uh, since 2009 into the cloud. So, so during the pandemic, so at the end of March, like we all, we all departed, departed the office on March 16th. Uh, that was a Monday. Uh, that Sunday night, everyone rolled out on the 15th. Uh, we went live with our, our cloud-based uh, worldwide warehouse management system the 31st uh, of March on target because it was scheduled. And, and again, business as usual, right? Uh, and then, uh, and then we, we actually moved our two, le- we did a lift and shift of our two legacy systems that remain. Uh, I always laugh because it's good to have a legacy, but it's not good to have legacy systems, right? You know, it's kind <laughs> of an odd, odd thing in life these days. Uh, and so we did a lift and shift uh, to a private cloud so it became our, it's our hybrid, our hybrid private cloud working on some very cool technology. We did that lift and shift April 6th mm. uh, on time and on target as, as we have to finish doing. And then we had a series of other projects that were driven around uh, revenue and our distribution channel uh, as far as, uh, as uh, ways to communicate uh, special designs and special engineering requirements because we build an engineer to order. And, and we, we started going live with those. So, so those stayed because those, those are fundamentally long-term, the core of our business. Right. Uh, and then a series of manufacturing upgrades as well. Salesforce Lightning went live as well April 1st. Uh, the mobile's going live in a few weeks. It goes on and on, right? So then the pivot came when, when we started looking at uh, the remaining part of our fiscal year and, and what do we have to change around efficiency effectiveness. So a lot of RPA projects uh, got pulled forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the RPA projects have maybe a longer timeline around them because now people are at home and if RPA involved digitizing some manual processes, we, because we all have them, right, you know, we all sure. pretend we don't, but we all still have, who's all that, who's that person pushing all that paper around?
2: Right? That's right. You wouldn't have printers if you didn't have a to digitize. <laughs> exactly, right.
1: So, so we, pull, we pull those RPA projects ahead. Uh, we look, you know, we, we, we have a very uh, a touch, like a very touch kind of culture around we want to greet our guests. Uh, we want to have the person who, who's got them greeting them, and it, it becomes a bit complicated. And you know, we've always wanted to put a better lobby system in, where people pre-register. And now the opportunity arose because it can be touchless now as well. So that that gets advanced. And then I think anything really to do with uh, e-commerce. Uh, so we have an e-commerce store that I that I passed off to uh, Carlos because only he will get the special discount, right, Carlos? <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, and that's designed really for um, for people who know our product and go. But our, our customers certainly need work from home products for, for their employees, because those that are committing to a longer term than just what we are today are thinking, well, I'm going to make sure that person is comfortable, has the right tools, not only uh, the proper laptops and technology, but also the proper surface and a proper chair to sit in. Right. So so we you know, we've been pivoting to you know, what I would say B to B to C. Because we're really selling business to business, but the end consumer is going to receive that at their home. So we're used to shipping 35 containers full of furniture to a massive office tower and staging and gating that up to uh, elevators to install as we go. Because we, we don't have an assembly line. Our assembly line is your floor that you sit on at your office, right? So it creates a very complex assembly line. That's a different story we can talk about. <laughs> but... But now we have, to, we have to pivot to that, and, and it's actually quite a good service to provide you know, whatever your standards are for your company and the kind of seating that you had and the kind of surface you had in a work-from-home setting. And our designs have, a, as we call it, a residential look, and you'll see if you look at Techion.com, our website, our furniture has very much a residential feel and soft finishes and natural finishes and, and, and very sleekly designed that can easily fit in your home. Um, so, so that whole pivot to, to B2B to C is necessary to help service our clients, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really, and that's been going very successfully. Uh, and it, and it's quite easy with today's cloud technology, right? You know, we, you know, we use a, a cloud-based store already and, uh, you know, shopping cart to shopping cart. And as long as you have someone to broker the, tran- the transaction for you, it's so that you don't have to worry about PKI and all that good stuff. So that's definitely one pivot. I think the other pivot is, is around automation in the factory. Like we have a lot of automation in the factory, which, uh, and you guys sell automation. You guys know this better than I in some cases. And that mm-hmm. automation actually provides natural physical distancing as well right, because of its sheer size. So now you sit back and say, do you start pulling forward some of that automation? Because you're going to need more physical distancing in these areas as well. And, and then, of course, you know, the challenges around uh, distribution, loading container trucks. Uh, you know packaging and having stuff that 's heavy that you need either the right technology to lift it and, and move it and, and or if two people have to have to actually move it because it 's of a sensitive nature that the product, then how do you have technology to help them lift it as well so some of those areas have shifted very much, and then of course, you know we all have to think about liquidity and cash right so we all have to find you know better ways uh, so we have to optimize digital payments and I think uh, I think optimizing digital payments which is both pay and receive um, I think a lot of companies do it very well some companies do it 50 50 maybe and I think the whole idea to improve and optimize digital payments is really key uh, and then the other part of course our networks are quite robust and we're quite proud what happened as we went as we rolled out but what's next if we're going to keep people who have more demands uh, from their home office, and they need better cloud, uh, better cloud access to engineering, for example, than, than what we have. Uh, then that's another pivot that we have to look at to, to make sure that whoever does remain remote will have will be able to work just as effectively.
2: Awesome. Well, that was a lot of amazing content for forty minutes. Doesn't even yeah. feel like forty minutes.
1: Yeah, and we didn't even talk with the customer connection. I, if I you know, really quick, the, the jump customer, in. Customer connection technology is really key, right? Uh, for all of us and you know we've got to find it we sell physical products so people have to come and see it so to actually let them see it from afar over video AR VR possibly uh, a better a better scenario that is another focus that we're putting on because you know we don't know when people can travel yet people still want to see the product itself underneath it and how how it's designed how it'll fit in the space etc
2: so and did you already have have that skill set or did you have to add it to the team like did you oh, just? No, we,
1: we have that, but we have it at a very small state, oh. right? That, you know, we, we do VR, we do some AR and, and uh, you know, a bit more proof of concepts So we do it for some clients as well. But now you sit back and say, if I want to do a mock up of, of someone's office or, or, or uh, multiple stations that people are going to move into in a pandemic world, they're going to want to see it. They're going to want to see people physically distanced. So do you use right. AR and VR? Right. You know, and and it it offers some interesting opportunities that you yourself as an avatar can fly around the product and look underneath. Now, we think it's cool, but, you know, will everyone else? But we have to I think that customer connection is going to be very key when you're a product based company.
2: Right. Awesome. Carlos.
0: So, John, uh, we get a lot of leaders in our podcast. If you have five minutes or you can share with them. One thing that they should focus that you have learned or that it will be very critical for them for this next, let's say, three to six months. What should that be for them?
1: Uh, I would say, Carlos, is a purposeful execution is more important than perfect execution in these times. And I think, you know, we, we, we had a little chat this morning about being purposeful. Like, you know, we, we provide a great purpose and we feel very purposeful through this process because of how we can continue to execute as individuals, you know, in, when we're faced with this kind of difficult part. Uh, but I think, you know, like, I think some leaders possibly focus too much on perfection because they're looking for the check part. In these times, purposeful is going to be far better than perfection because you're getting stuff done and you're moving forward and you're learning as you're living. And I think that's really key
2: these times I'm going to quote you on that. The next presentation, I do perfect.
1: Embrace it as your own, Paul. You know, we
2: have to hear you. <laughs> you too. You can't. You,
3: nobody else can read my writing, but I wrote it down as well. <laughs> that's, that's really good.
0: <laughs> so it was awesome to have you with us today, John, and to each one of you that are listening or that are watching us. Make sure that you subscribe to our channels, that being our podcast or our social media. Share this because remember, we cannot grow alone. When we grow together as leaders, we can deliver and grow and make others grow as leaders. My friends, we'll see you on our next episode.